Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. I want to talk tonight, and and it's really just going to be kind of a fireside chat without the fireside. I want to talk about preparing for the unknowable future. I want to talk about that. Everybody else is talking about it. Why don't we talk about it in church? So I'm going to speak on that tonight. If you'll stand to your feet one more time just for a moment and say, Pastor, teach to us tonight. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Teach to us tonight, Pastor. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Teach to us tonight, Pastor. Let us walk out of here different people than what we were when we came in. I won't be long. You may be seated. You're the best people in all the world. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. In the book of Mark chapter 13, I'm not going there because in my reading it's verses 1 through 31 and you can read that when you go home. Don't read it while I'm teaching tonight, but I'm going to refer to that. The disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were together with the Lord. And they they started asking the Lord questions about the house of God. And the Lord said, no stone will be upon another very soon. And he got to talking about when they said, what's going to happen, Lord? What's going to be a sign? Give us something that we can look for. And so he gets into wars and rumors of wars and... uh, he said, that's going to happen. And he said, brother is going to stand up and rise up against brother and said, that's going to happen. And he said, there's going to be a days of affliction and that's going to happen. And he said, the son of man will come in verse 30. He's coming in his glory. But then he said, this generation shall not pass. What generation? The generation that I've just spoke about when no stone will be upon another When there will be wars and rumors of wars, when brothers will rise up against brothers, when affliction will affect the whole world. And we're seeing that today. And he said, this generation is not going to pass until all these things be fulfilled. Now, let's, let's suppose, folks, that the world really was coming to an end. And it is. How do you think the headlines of major newspapers would read today? One day at lunch couple of years ago, some high important reporters and bankers and brokers and PR types was at the National Press Club in Washington. And they speculated on how various news medias would play the story at the end of time. And here are some of the suggested headlines. One man said the Los Angeles Times would probably say, no traffic on the freeway today. One man quoted said the USA Today would probably say, we die today. The Wall Street Journal, they probably would say market closes early. And I like what the man representing Sports Illustrated said. He said, Sports Illustrated would say the fat lady is singing. It's over. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, is part of the apocalyptic literature of the Bible. In a very vivid terms, it describes the last days of, of planet Earth. And some people 
They really do. They live. It's like they're rapture junkies. It's like they are end time junkies. It's give me some more end time. And, and, and I don't talk about it a lot. In fact, I tell people I'm a 65 book preacher that I leave revelation alone because anybody that touches it don't really know what they're talking about. Really? Because we've had prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy. And I don't mean that mean, but no man knows. In very vivid terms, it describes the last days, Mark 13. Some people get a chill out of that, an end of the world, rapture, second coming. Every time predictions are made, there are people who sell their homes, who quit going to school, who cash in their life insurance policies, and they turn toward heaven for signs. None of this that we're feeling now is new. For centuries, we have been innumerable, there have been innumerable theories as to when and how the world might end. And in, in, in AD 960, a German theologian calculated that 992 was the most likely year that the Lord would come. And as the time approached, panic was worldwide and it was, it was spread all over the world. In 1665, a man named Solomon Eccles was jailed in London Bridewell Prison for striding through Smithville Market stark naked, naked, carrying a pan of blazing sulfur on his head and prophesying doom and destruction to not only London but the world. And although the world did not end, did not end, the great fire of London did one year later. It came and burned London down. In 1874, Charles Russell, the founder of the sect that became the Jehovah's Witness, concluded that the second coming had already taken place. And he declared that people had 40 years or until 1914 to enter his faith or be destroyed. Later, when it didn't happen in 1914, he modified that date to very soon after 1914. A man wrote, 88 reasons why the Lord's going to come in 1988. And believe it or not, folks, I baptized more people in that church. Some of them were 2 and 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning because they didn't want anybody else to know that they were afraid not to make the rapture without water baptism. I've never had so many midnight calls in my life. In 1967, Anders Jensen, and I'm not making fun of it, I'm just telling you that we live in that realm, a Danish leader of a sect known as the Disciples of Orthon convinced his followers, 67, the Six-Day War, that the world would come to a nuclear holocaust on Christmas Day. And Jensen even appeared on David Frost's show to announce this fact to millions of television viewers. It happened. And since 1967, many other date setters have come along, including one would-be prophet who set the date for this past September. And each one has been wrong. And it makes me think of a minister in what is now East Germany named Michael Stiftel. Stiftel based his study of Revelation he proclaimed that the world would end on October the 18th, 1533. And when it didn't happen, Stiftel was given a thrashing by the townspeople. They tied him to a pole and just beat the tar out of him and drove him out of town. Now, that's not a bad idea. Scare us like that and Jesus don't come. If you say it, man, know it. Jesus said that not even he knew the date. Did you hear that? Jesus said, I don't even know the date. But that does not discourage some of his followers from speculating. I like something that J. David 
Bianchin wrote in Leadership Magazine, he used the analogy of a basketball game. In 1987, Bobby Knight coached the Indiana Hoosiers, and LSU had a great basketball team that year, and LSU had Indiana on the ropes in the regional finals. In fact, they had them down by several points with a couple of minutes left in the game. And as often the case with the team in the lead, LSU began playing a different ball game. And the television announcers pointed out that the LSU players were beginning to watch the clock rather than wholeheartedly play the game. Oh, I feel like preaching. And as a result of this shift in focus, Indiana closed the gap, won the game by one point, and eventually went on to win the NCAA championship that year undefeated. Bobby Knight's only undefeated team. And David Bianchin goes on to say that God does not want his people wasting pointless energy watching the clock. God didn't put us down here to be clock watchers. Hallelujah. He put us here to do everything we could to bring every sinner we could to the kingdom of God. He put us here so we could have great church. See the blind eye healed. See the deaf ear unstopped. Come on. See somebody rise up. See somebody get delivered. See somebody get saved. See somebody get water baptized. He didn't put us here to watch the clock and wonder when he was coming. I don't even like groupies like that. God wants us to be obedient in our service to him. We do not want to be guilty of clock watching, folks. The Lord's going to come when he gets good and ready. Somebody said, Pastor, do you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? I believe in pan-trib. It's going to all pan out. (laughs) I've often said, I'm going to walk my walk until God says you've walked your last step. I'm not going to worry about death. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about a rapture. I know where I am in God right now. (laughs) That all right? Come on. Give no thought to tomorrow. I'll give you strength for today. I promise you if I was Jesus, so I'd be thinking pretty hard about coming on back and getting his kids right now. I'd be telling Gabriel to go practice that trumpet. Go over and get in your private music room and practice that trumpet. You're going to blow it after a while, son. First of all, I'm going to make these three little points here tonight. We cannot know the future. Say, we cannot know it. Jesus' disciples fully expected his return in their lifetime, and they were wrong. No scriptural truth is more sure than this one. Only God knows the future. Say it with me. Only God knows the future. Now, you think about it in our own recent history. You that are 50 and older, raise your hand. 50 and older, raise your hand. That's beautiful. You're some of the finest people in the world because you're in my group. Who would have predicted in our younger day that within our lifetime a man would walk on the moon and we'd see it on television? I preached a revival, my first revival, the next year in Walnut Hill, Louisiana. And the youth group started at 55. (laughs) You'll get that in a minute. And they put me with a woman, I stayed with, as a single kid, they put me with a woman who was 75 and I was 21. And she said, 
I don't think they'll be talking about us to you. I said, oh my God. <laughs> and one night, one night we, we got home from church. I preached eight nights there. I had four sermons. I repeated them. Nobody knew because they just didn't know. I did. I repeated a sermon. That's horrible. Me to, to... But I come home one night and I said, Sister Wisby, Sister Ida, you remember Jonathan? Sister Ida, I said, what do you think about that moon landing in July 69? She said, it didn't happen. It did not happen. And she said, if you preach that, your ministry is going to be defeated. I said, Sister Ida, it happened. No, it didn't. It did not. I know God spoke to me. They did that out in New Mexico in the sands out there. That wasn't on the moon. That was in New Mexico. Well, a lot of funny things have happened out there in New Mexico in the sand. They saw those flying saucers out there, so I guess maybe they're checking on the first moon landing. But she said, if you preach that in this pulpit, I'll never come hear you preach again. You hear me? She said, to Ida, I'm not going to preach about the moon landing. I just told you. What do you think about it? I know what you think about it now. I think she died never believing that. Really, I believe the truth. But everyone else, could you have predicted just a few years ago that the computer would change our lives? One of the things I've never understood is a fax machine. A fax machine. I don't understand how, that, how them words get through space. You know I'm teasing. A cellular phone, cable TV, or in political terms, who would have predicted that the hippies of the 60s that supported George McGovern became the yuppies of the 80s that backed Ronald Reagan? Think about it. Who would have predicted AIDS or the fall of the Berlin Wall? Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Nobody but God. And because I know that he knows, I'm just going to trust him. The cure for cancer may be just around the corner. Perhaps a nuclear catastrophe. Weapons of destruction fall into the hands of terrorists. Who knows? God knows. But my second point is simply this. God does know. I don't know, but God does know. I may get stuck here and preach for three hours right now. I'm glad to tell you what I don't know he knows. And I know that he'll tell us when he gets good and ready to tell us. But until he tells us, I'm going to trust him when I can't track him. He is my God. None of us knows, but God knows. Our chief source of comfort is this. Everybody say, God knows. In Richmond, Virginia, this is a great story. I found this. I said, the people will love this. Sometime back in the, in the broad-minded judge let petty offenders roll a huge pair of dice in his courtroom to determine the number of days that they would get in jail. And after the judge died, his secret came out. The dice were loaded. <laughs> True story. I love it. At first thought, one might conclude that when God gave humanity freedom in the Garden of Eden, God gave an astounding roll of the dice. 
How would humanity use this freedom to build up or to destroy? We've done both. The answer is not yet clear, but let me give you a hint. If that judge loaded the dice, God's got the dice loaded also. And there's going to come a day when he's going to roll them and say, that's it. See, there's a form of science known as chaology. Everybody say chaology. chaology. It's the study of chaos. Everybody say chaology. Sounds like it doesn't. It's the study of chaos. And the basic assumption of this, of this word chaology is of the discipline is that some things in life are basically unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen in the morning. But I'm going to go to bed with God in my corner tonight. Chaology is in the world. For example, the weather. Have you ever seen weathermen, meteorologists, not know what's going to happen? Well, it's going to be dry for seven days and seven days it rains. Because some butterfly over there in Beijing flapped its wings and it started raining in America. Oh, I'm sorry, the butterfly effect. There are simply too many variables to ever give a complete, accurate, long-wage weather prediction. And yet, according to computer models, there are patterns even to these supposedly chaotic events. The patterns are so huge and so complex that they only seem chaotic to us. The biblical testimony is that there is a basic pattern to all of life. And whether you call it chaos or whether you call it chaology, whatever you call it, you and I can't discern it any more than a fish can analyze the water that it swims in. But if we could step out of space and time and sit with God, we could see the pattern. And we could see that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I feel like jumping right now and saying a hallelujah to that. And we know, all we know is that God knows, therefore, all things are all right. There's a haunting story. It's a true story about a man that was lost in a shipwreck. He was the lone survivor of a shipwreck. And he found an island, and he swam up on that island. It was uninhabited, and he was so alone, so fearful. And it wasn't Tom Hanks. <laughs> and Wilson wasn't there. You folks watch movies, don't you, you little rascal? <laughs> Testing your skill there. And he cried out to God to save him. And every day he scanned the horizon for some ship to come, and there was none. So eventually he just kind of gave up, and he built a small hut. He would have put a few possessions in it. Then one day he, he came home, and his hut was on fire for some reason. And smoke was rolling in the sky, and he was angry and grief-stricken. He shook his fist at God and said, God, why? Why? I've looked for a ship. I've waited for somebody. And early the next day, a ship drew near to the island and rescued him. And he said, how did you know that I was here? And they said, we saw your smoke signal. <laughs> Sometimes it looks like chaos. But God knows when we need to be extradited and taken out of this situation and extricated from it. Let me say it again. I've said it many, many times. He's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. That's the God that I serve. Pep 
your hands, everybody. He's a God on time. He's a God that's on time. I want you to put it up, sister. Marilyn, God will not forsake us. Put it up. I want you to say it with me. God will not forsake us. Now, instead of us, say me. God will not forsake me. Say it again. Everybody say, God knows. knows. He really does. We don't know, but God knows. That's some simple points, but there's some preaching there. Our task then is to make the most of the present. That's our task, to make the most. So, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Somebody asked me, how are you feeling, Pastor? I said, I feel good. How are you feeling? Feel good? I smile today. Smiles make me feel good. I had a good day at church. I love to get alone in my office and talk to the Lord like I'm kind of talking to y'all. I just talk to him and say, Lord, help me a little bit tonight. I need a little help. Really, God, you know I need a lot of help. And I talked to him. And I felt good all day. It was just a good day. It was a wonderful day. I, I got me some new shoes for Father's Day. Black over white. My kids got them for me. Old Damon and Misty know how to pick out shoes. They've done me good several times, and I'll be wearing these a lot. What do you call them kinds? Got them like them Stacy Adams. Look, what's it called? Wingtip. Yeah, wingtip shoes. White. It really looks cool. And I have no complaints. Now, I could take you back and I could be as lonely and as crying as I want to be because I've gone through hell and high water. But God's been good to me. I've studied chaology in my life. I know what that's about. But God has got a system for all of us. And things, you know, you're not going to be bubble wrapped in this life. Things are going to go bump in the night in your life. And because they do doesn't mean God has left you. And doesn't mean that God's forsaken you. God knows where you are right now. He knows who you are right now. He sees the sparrow when it falls. He sees and knows the number of hair on your head. God is with you right now. I want to drive that home on this Wednesday night. You may be here for the first time and you may be coming saying, I need a word. I'm going to give you a word. God knows where you are and God understands who you're about and he loves you and he loved you before you ever loved him. And that's the kind of God that I'm preaching about tonight. So what do I do? I've got to make the most of the present. What I got to do? It's a precious present. It's a. It's today. I've got to make the most of. In the words of Robin Williams' character in the movie Dead Men's, uh, 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 the the Dead Poet Society, he said, "Carpe diem, seize the day." And everybody's preached that. But in the movie, Williams plays an English teacher who takes his class to the hall, to the trophy case, 
And there he shows them pictures of past heroes of the school. And he says to them, all these young men were as you are today, starting life with great promise. And all of you someday will be as they are. They're all dead. And so will you be. And what do you think they're saying to you right now? Get up close to the glass and listen. And the class leans toward the glass and Williams in a raspy voice says, Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. I want to stop right now and preach a little bit. If you're worried about your yesterday and you're fearful about tomorrow, you'll never seize your today. I want to I one more time on Wednesday night tell you the past is just that. It's yesterday. And I want to tell you one more time the future is just that. It's tomorrow. But he'll give me strength for today. And I refuse to let a past iniquity that I have repented of and put under the blood of Jesus for me not to trust Jesus and hang on to that thinking I can't live for Jesus. And I refuse to make it be fearful of tomorrow for fear of meeting Jesus with unrepented sin. If you have repented of your sins, they are forgiven. Somebody needs to get the victory over that tonight. Hallelujah. So my question is, is are you making the most of days God has given you? Are you making the most of your days? Tomorrow is Thursday. So you're going to wake up in the morning saying, God. <laughs> are you going to wake up tomorrow and saying, God. Someone has noted that the average American disposes of about 40 plus hours of leisure time per week. That's how much you're supposed to work. And about 15 plus hours are spent in front of a TV. Oh, that's good news. If the same time was invested in walking that you invested in watching TV, you could walk across America in one year, coast to coast. If the same time were invested in education, you could, learn, you could earn your MBA in two years. Oh, I got to watch TV. See what's happening. So I can get scared about tomorrow. <laughs> let me just, let me just, atta- let me just, let me, I'm going to attack movies. I'm, the shark is back, okay? It's shark time. I'm going to be the shark and I'm going to attack I am sick and tired of these movies that make the devil king and try to scare our young people and take our young people away from the presence of God in their life. They're full of fear. They're straight out of hell. Mom and dad, stand up. There's still some good movies for your kids to see without going and seeing El Stupo movies about the devil. Come on, folks, rally with me. Help me now. Help me now. I need you, parents. Our kids need somebody to say no in their life. If the same time were invested in a part-time job that pays $20 an hour, 15 hours a week, 
a person can make over $16,000 a year, over $48,000 in three years. That's enough to pay for one year of college at Baylor. <laughs> Carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the day. Don't fear the day. Don't run from the day. Seize the day. Someone else has noted that if you get up just one hour earlier each morning, you will add the equivalent of over two additional months of productive work days each year. Amen. Seize it. Someone's thinking to himself, stop, pastor. You're making me tired. I need to take that risk for just a moment. There are some of you who are concerned about your future in the market. There are some of you whose world is rapidly changing. There are some of you who work for companies that are downsizing. There are some of you who are finding out middle management is disappearing, so is unskilled labor. And some of you realize Social Security may be bankrupt in just a few years. I don't know what the future holds. Neither does anyone else. But I know one thing. I know a God that knows. And it may look like chaos to you or the study of chaology, but I'm telling you that God is going to step in at the right time and say, children, you've done enough. You've served enough. You didn't clock watch. You made your way. You worshiped God every Wednesday night. You showed up on Sunday. You paid your dues. You gave your time. You gave your talent. You gave your testimony. I'm telling you, come on home. Be with me. It's rapture time. That's what's going to happen. We're just going to serve him until he comes. We're going to occupy till he comes. That's what we're going to do in this church. Hallelujah. The better prepared you are and I are, the better chance of survival. Young people, I know they're next door, but somebody tell them to stay in school. Young and middle adults realize that in an information society, we must keep learning and growing over a whole lifetime. All of us of every age, let's make maximum use of the times God's given us. Seize the day. And of course, there's two investments of time to, that pay the highest dividend. One of them is the time we spend with God. How many times have I stood in this pulpit and I have said, as Moses said, Lord, I don't want to go any further if you don't go with us. I say that every day in my office. I tell God that every day. Because if this is going to be a spirit-filled church, the spirit doesn't need to be a hidden entity. It needs to be alive in this church. We're not stupid by clapping our hands and raising our hands and saying praise the Lord and hallelujah to the word of God. (laughs) Have you been watching soccer lately? (laughs) Last time I checked, nobody's run over anybody or killed anybody in our church over Jesus. I'm telling you, it's all right to get excited about the Lord. And the second is the time we invest in our family and our friends. Your family's around you. Your friends are beside you. It's a cold, cruel world out there, folks. We need one another. Come on, we need one another. I close, Brother Randy, if you'll help me.
I close. This is the good part. I'm closing. <laughs> I met some new people at the door tonight, and I, I really appreciate you being here. I, uh, I really do. Sunday morning, we have over already over 50 candidates for water baptism. And uh, there will be 60 to 80 people before the weekend is over. If you want to sign up for water baptism tonight, please do so. We're going to baptize. And, and we, we, had, we had a few people say, Pastor, we don't like just the camera, so we're going to take all this down, open the curtain. You'll see them live as well as on the screen. And that'll be good. That'll be good. i got to tell you a remarkable story. I close with this remarkable story. It's a story about Christy Wilson. He's a man. He was a missionary educator in Afghanistan. And a few years ago, there was a near wipeout of Afghanistan leading industry, which is sheep breeding. And a fatal disease that entered the flocks and stubbornly resisted efforts to eradicate it. It would not go away. And with the entire sheep industry in danger of extinction, it meant that there was a loss of wool for clothing, leather for commercial products, and food to eat. And in a, in a country already suffered mass poverty, the potential loss was catastrophic. And Christy Wilson, a missionary educator, understands prayer a lot better than some people do. He said to the Lord, what can I do? And the answer came back. Write your friends in the United States and ask them to send you some Long Island duck eggs. Long Island duck eggs. So he asked for two dozen. And not long afterward, two dozen duck eggs were shipped air freight from New York. But they didn't reach Afghanistan directly. Shipment was sidetracked and spent many hot days in a warehouse in Calcutta, India. And when the package finally arrived in Kabul, Afghanistan, some of the eggs were cracked and smelled rotten. They were done. But Christie went to the Lord and prayed again. And he said, Lord, let, these, let at least two eggs hatch out of the 24 and let one be a male and one be a female you think God doesn't love us 22 eggs proved to be rotten and infertile only two hatched you know where I'm going one was male the other was female in a matter of months they were reproducing like they're supposed to reproduce ducks reproduce then the miracle happened the ducks began to devour the snails that crawled along the watering holes where the sheep went to drink. And amazingly, the fatal sheep disease disappeared. For the snails proved to be the carriers of the disease. Today, both ducks and sheep are in abundance. And for Christy Wilson, he was signally honored by the king himself. Listen, as we prepare for this unknowable future, many of us are ignoring the most precious resource. And that's the presence of God in our life. God will send you duck eggs. And if God will send duck eggs, he'll send you what you need to make it in this life. The book of Romans said we're without excuse. We really are. Because if God will send duck eggs to a missionary in Afghanistan, he'll send you a hope package tonight. Stand to your feet and clap your hands all over the house.
the power of Jesus' name. So my last little phrase I'm going to put up on the screen. Trust in God and seize the day. It may look like chaos, but God knows how to send you duck eggs to Afghanistan. He'll take care of his kids. Everybody say, I don't know. God knows. So I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to seize the day. I'm going to live for God. And if the Lord don't come today, I'll prepare like he's coming tomorrow. If he doesn't come tomorrow, I'll prepare like he's coming the next day. I'm just going to live for God day by day, just day by day. Just walking with God, walking with God. And one day the trump will sound and I'll go home. It'll be a good ride. But we don't know what's going to happen, but let's hold on to Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and take him by the hand and say, I heard the word tonight and I want you to understand that I got it. I got it. I got it. Chaos seems to reign, but there's order in God's kingdom. And God is with us. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.